Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Didn't get a chance to say hi to you in the lobby. Happy Easter to you and your family. For those of our church family, for those that are visiting here today, Easter is a very special day for us. But honestly, every Sunday we have the same joy of Easter because the same thing is true. Jesus rose from the dead. So if you're looking for a church home or just on a spiritual journey, Come back with us. Now, next week, we have something very special for every person that will be here. It's a gift to you, and uh, what I can describe it as, it's something like a Christian version of Netflix, but we're going to give you access to some incredible Christian um, videos, library, kids' videos, things that will bless your family, help encourage um, the development of faith in your life, and so I hope you'll come back next week, and we have to take a couple minutes in the service to explain what that is to you next week, and didn't have time to do it today, but please come back. We want to do that. I'm going to read to you the story of Easter from the book of Luke. Chapter 23, starting with verse 44, it says, It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who'd gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now, there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. And then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. When they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Now, this was written by a man named Luke. Luke was a Greek doctor that was converted during the Apostle Paul's missionary travels. In fact, he joined Paul and became a companion. But Luke did something that was very interesting. He decided he wanted to, to compile the story of Jesus from the very beginning of his life until his resurrection. And so he began to interview witnesses and gather information. And he wanted to put it into an orderly account so that others could hear the story and know the Jesus he had come to know. Now, every one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, climax with the last days of Jesus' life and the two most significant events of his life, which really are the foundational pillars of Christianity, the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection. This double-barreled message was preached around Jerusalem and the countryside surrounding it. It began to travel to the ends of the earth and continues to this day to reverberate around the world, causing people to stand in awe of God and humble themselves before this one who rose from the dead. Now, Jesus, during the last um, few years of his life, 
became a very controversial figure. He really upset the Jewish authorities who had become very cozy with their religious system. They had been esteemed by the people and put on this pedestal, but Jesus began to shake up this system. His teachings made them uncomfortable. His popularity was a little bit too much to handle. And Jesus began to paint these leaders in a negative light as men who were self-motivated, proud, and greedy. And so they conspired a way to get rid of Jesus. They plotted with the Roman authorities to have him arrested at night to be betrayed by one of his friends. And in the middle of the night, a mock court trial was held with witnesses, false witnesses who had been subpoenaed to come and testify against Jesus. And Pilate, who couldn't find any guilt in Jesus, decided that he would have him flogged, which was a really punishing um, form of, of discipline in which they would have him whipped with these strips of leather and pieces of pottery and glass that would cut at his flesh to to almost to the point of killing him. And yet these bloodthirsty Jewish leaders demanded nothing less than his crucifixion. Now we have nothing today that compares with crucifixion, except I think in the last year our eyes have been opened. And when you see what the ISIS terrorists have done around the world and how sometimes they've led innocent men out in orange jumpsuits and had them kneel and then systematically executed them one by one. Uh, I read the story, horrific story, a couple months ago of the Jordanian pilot. The Jordanian pilot who was led in front of a group of masked gunmen to a cage in which he was placed and then covered with gasoline and lit like a human torch. And they stood calmly by filming his writhing screams as he died and withered under the pain and agony of the flames. And then they posted it online. They wanted people to watch it because they had a message. You mess with us, we come after you. We don't tolerate any form of opposition to our ideology or our agenda. And see, as repulsive as that was to us is as repulsive as crucifixion was in Jesus' day. See, Cicero, who was one of the Roman statesmen, he said that it was the most cruel and disgusting penalty. It was a way of executing the lowest of citizens, the slaves. In fact, when Spartacus, you probably heard his name, when Spartacus' army revolted against Rome, they were finally captured, and the general, Crassus, the Roman general, had 6,000 of these slaves from Spartacus' army crucified along a 120-mile stretch of roadway called the Apian Way, which is the primary passageway into Rome, so that people could see these bodies. Why? To say, you don't mess with those in authority. This is what could happen to you. And so Jesus was put on a cross among thieves. And as he died that day, his followers hid among the shadows. But there was a man named Joseph of Arimathea who was part of the council, the Sanhedrin, the ruling body made up of Jewish elders and priests and scribes. And these men had power over the Jewish community, not only religious power, but political power. And they served under the the, the jurisdiction of Rome. And so, so these men had a lot of power And they declared that Jesus be executed. But Joseph said, I'm not with you. I don't agree with you. He'd been a secret admirer, but on this day, Joseph came out of the shadows. In a sense, he came out of the closet, not because of what he believed about himself, but what he believed about Jesus. And he said, today I'm going to be counted as a lover of Jesus. And if nobody else will, I will. 
And he stepped up and said, I want that body. He deserves a dignified burial. So he took Jesus' body down, wrapped him in linen cloths, placed him in the tomb. Now, Luke gives one version or one angle of the story, but if you look at some of the other gospels, you'll see some other angles or little parts of the story. One of the things that John writes in his gospel is that when Jesus' body was taken down, that Nicodemus, who also was a member of that Sanhedrin, he was a man who came to Jesus quietly at night. He too identified with Jesus. And it says that Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes, spices to put around the body. Now, why did they do that? Well, in those days, they didn't have the techniques we have for preserving bodies. And so within a short period of time, the body would smell. And so these spices, these, the, the, the myrrh and the aloes and all these would overpower the smell of death and give this person some dignity. And it was believed that the greater the honor given to a person, the greater the weight of the spices applied to the body. But they were under a timetable. They had to be done before sundown, which was the beginning of the Sabbath. And if you were in the Jewish culture, you could not work from sundown on Friday till sundown on Saturday. So they're hastily packing the body with spices, wrapping it in linens, putting it in the tomb. But then it says this. this is the, I've never noticed this until just this week when I was reading the passage. It says the women notice how they placed the body of Jesus. How? How they placed the body of Jesus. And so they went home and they began to pack their own spices. In other words, they... They knew the men didn't do it right. <laughs> you know, I get that because there are times at home where I'm in there cleaning the bathroom or I'm there putting the dishes in the dishwasher or I'm making something at the stove and my sweetheart comes along and says, here, listen, let me take over. In other words, let me show you how it's to be done. And you know what? Nine times out of ten, she's right and I back off and let her do her thing. It happens in the church all the time. The guys will cook up some meat on the grill and they'll get all the tables and chairs set up in a room. And then the women walk in and said, you know what? Let us have a say in here. So they put on the nice tablecloths. And they put on nice dishes and centerpieces. And they fold the napkin and put the silverware on the right side of the plate. And they might even light a couple candles to, to give a little aroma to the room. You know, women know how to make it a little bit better. And so it seems like these women figure, like, Jesus deserves a little better, guys. So... They got their stuff ready, Sunday morning. They've got all their spices in tow and they're heading to the tomb. But when they get there, they're surprised because the stone's been rolled away. Not only that, when they look inside, the body's gone. The body's gone. And they don't know what has happened. And so they fall to their knees and they see these two gleaming figures that they know are angelic beings. And they say, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is risen. He's not here. Remember how he told you how he would be arrested and, and tried and crucified and buried and then he'd rise from the dead? And then Luke notes, then they remembered his words because Jesus had told them on several occasions this exact thing was going to happen. And yet none of them, not a single one of his devoted followers believed him. Not his disciples, not these women, not even Joseph or Nicodemus. They all thought, this guy's not rising from the dead. No way. And you know what? I can't fault them. I mean, really, someone says they're going to rise from the dead. Right. Really. They knew that God had promised in the end, at the end of the age, there'd be this general resurrection of everybody from the graves. But, but nobody's going to go around boasting, hey, kill me. I'm going to rise from the dead. 
<laughs> right? It's like, that, it's like that kid in high school, you know, that, that nerdy guy that says, you know, I'm going to marry that, that, that cheerleader captain. You go, right. Or, or that one girl that says, I'm going to be the first female president of the United States. You go, yeah, sure. Just kind of blow it off. I had a friend in high school. His locker was right next to mine. His name was Rick, and he was not athletic in the least. I mean, he could not throw any kind of a ball anyway. I mean, he's just horrible. And one day he comes to a group of us at lunch and says, hey guys, I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to go hunting next week with Hank Aaron. <laughs> I said, you know who Hank Aaron is? He goes, yeah, he's that home run guy. I said, yeah, he's the Hall of Fame guy. He's hit more home runs than Babe Ruth. I said, you're going hunting with him? Yeah, he's coming out to uh, my neighbor's uh, field here and he's going to go duck hunting with us. <laughs> we said, Right. Right. Why would Hank Aaron come to this little town of Milton, Wisconsin, a town of about 8,000 people, and go hunting? Oh, about a week later, Rick shows up at the cafeteria, and he's got a photograph. And they're wearing their hunting gear, holding their rifles, and a string of ducks is Rick, the guy at the locker next to me, and Hank Aaron. It really is Hank Aaron. He was telling the truth the whole time. When someone tells you something unbelievable, it is hard to trust in that. And when you look at Jesus saying, I'm going to rise from the dead, what are the odds of that ever happening? I mean, every single person who dies goes to the grave. Now, there have been a few incidences where people have been raised from the dead, but eventually they die too, and they get buried in a tomb or a grave, and they stay there. So the chances of Jesus rising from the dead, pretty much zero, right? But zero doesn't stop God. So God raised him from the dead. And over the next several weeks, Luke writes that Jesus was seen by several witnesses. And those believers who had been very shy and hesitant about Jesus made a 180-degree turn. And all of a sudden, these disciples who were hiding in the shadows went front stage to preach this message of Jesus. And everywhere they went, they began to tell people the story that, that this Jesus who went to the cross because of your sins, God raised him from the dead. And then they would add this, and we are witnesses of the fact and so Luke writes another book. He's, he's so wrapped up in the story of Jesus, he writes a second book called the book of Acts. And the book of Acts, you can read these stories of the resurrected Jesus and what he does through these followers and how the message spreads. And what I want to tell you today is this simple message. If Jesus made this incredibly audacious promise that he would die and be raised from the dead, what's the chances God could fulfill a promise that he's made to you today? What if God has promised something to you and says, today I want you to trust me to do this very thing? For example, Jesus says in the book of Matthew, Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. See, so many of you have lived a life where you've tried to be a good person. You've worked hard. You've loved your family. You've sacrificed for your kids. You've, you've done your job at the office. You even go to church and, and feel like you're a pretty good person when it comes to your relationship with God. You're not perfect, you admit that, but, but you've sure done your best. Hopefully that will be enough, and yet there's something gnawing inside of you that says you could do a little bit better, a little bit more. God's not fully satisfied with what you've done. And yet you feel so tired, so exhausted. You don't know if you can give any more of what you have, and, and it seems like God's standards are so high. See, we all come to God in one of two pathways. This pathway is a pathway that I would call do. If I do the right things and do them often enough, 
And with all my heart, that surely God would be satisfied. Surely God would accept me into heaven and into his family if I did all those things. But here's the sad news. You can never do enough to make God happy. You can never do enough to where God says, A plus, you get in. Never, ever. You cannot find God's acceptance through your doing. You can only find acceptance through this other pathway, which is called done. Done, D-O-N-E. Because when Jesus went to the cross and he was crucified, Jesus said, it is finished. It's done. What's done? The things that you couldn't do, the things that I couldn't do, live a perfect life and then die for sins. Jesus did that for us. And God was pleased with his son's sacrifice. And God is pleased when we trust in his son's sacrifice. So we're, we're right with God, not by our doing, but in our trusting in what Jesus had done. What if today you decided your focus was no longer going to be in achieving, but your focus was going to be on believing what Jesus has already done for you? Because when you trust in Jesus, he lifts that burden from you. He becomes that safe haven, the one who carries your junk, your garbage, and washes it away from you. You don't have to carry it anymore. Here's something else Jesus said. He said in John 8.30, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. All of us in this room, every single one of us, has some form of bondage in our lives. It might be the bondage of memories and hurts and wounds we've experienced in our lives. Things people did to us. Things people said to us. Experiences that have hurt us. Sometimes from people that should have loved us more than they did and they abused us verbally and and physically, emotionally, and maybe even sexually. Relationships that turn sour that have scarred our hearts for years. That's a form of bondage. Some of us are bound by emotions. Emotions that imprison us of anger, bitterness, and envy, depression, hopelessness. We don't know why we feel that way all the time, but but we feel like we can't get out of it. We're stuck there. Some of us are bound to addictive behaviors. And for a while we seem to get away, but then it draws us back in and seems to offer us a temporary escape. But all it does is takes us deeper into a cesspool of despair, hopelessness, and worthlessness. And it might be drugs. It might be alcohol. It, It might be pornography. It could even be work that has become addictive. But that won't save you. That won't free you. Some of us are bound by disease and sickness, limitations in the physical realm. And we see these things as as our prison. This is the way it's always going to be. This is the way that that God wants me to live. Now, I can't promise you today that you're going to be instantly healed. But I will tell you this. There have been people in this church in the past year who have cried out to God for deliverance. And God has freed them from a physical ailment. He has removed their heart issue. He has healed their back pain. He has caused that cancerous tumor to shrivel up and then eventually disappear. And what would happen today if you trusted God to deliver you? Some of you are haunted by demonic forces in your life that you've opened your door to. Some of you have, have, have made decisions in your life that you regret. And there's shame and guilt that, that is carried with you. And you can't go back and change the things that you did in the past. Or maybe it's not so far in the past. Maybe it's just recently. You made a very unwise decision or you crossed the line too far and it cost you far more than you ever imagined. But what if today Jesus set you free? My wife and I were watching a show the other night. First time I'd ever seen this show. But there's a pastor who used to be a police officer and he goes into hotel, hotels and his whole purpose is to bring 
freedom to those that have been trapped into prostitution and sex trafficking. So he and his team will look on um, Craigslist, and they'll look through the internet, look at newspaper ads, and they'll find women who they believe are at a point where they want to get out. And they'll make an appointment, and they'll come meet with this pastor. And he tells them right off the bat, I'm not here to use your services. I'm here to offer you a way out. And he begins to tell them what the future could look like for them that they have the resources available. They have people who will walk with them through this journey in their life. And he tells them that today they can make a decision that will change their life, but they only have a few minutes because they realize the clock is ticking and there's a pimp outside waiting for them to get back outside. And so they have to make a decision right now. And if you accept this decision, what they'll do is they'll take you down a hallway. And they showed women who accepted this. And they went down a hallway out of back door to a waiting vehicle. And they went in, they whisked them away. And from that point on, their life changed dramatically. But you know what was so sad? There were some women who were offered a way out. And they said, no, I'll stay right where I am. Why in the world would someone who's offered deliverance, who's offered freedom, saying, you know what, I kind of like my addictive behaviors, my struggles. I kind of like this place where I wallow in my emotions and negativity. I'm okay with this, this barrier, and I'm okay with my illness. It's just, I'm just okay with all this, and that's just going to be my life. Why? When Jesus said, if I set you free, you will be free indeed. What would happen today if you trusted Jesus to set you free? Here's another thing Jesus said. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You have an adversary called the devil, and he wants to steal everything good in your life. He wants to destroy every good relationship within your life. He wants to destroy your mind and your body. And yet Jesus says, I have come that you can have life and have it to the full, have it abundant. Now, I don't know how to describe the abundant life. It's hard to describe something until you, unless you've experienced it for yourself. But it made me think back when I was a little boy. Our, our home had a um, black and white television. And so we'd turn it on, take a little bit of time to warm up, and we'd watch pictures. And at that time, color TVs were available. We just couldn't afford one. But the day came where my dad broke the bank, got a color TV. And all of a sudden, you know, you watch Tom and Jerry in color. It's a whole new world. <laughs> Popeye in color. Woo! It was just powerful. And... Uh, it was like a whole new world. We, we didn't want to go back to black and white TV. And you know, recently, something similar was HDTV, high-def TV. I mean, I didn't know pictures could be so clear and realistic. almost feels like you're right there in the ball game or right there at the concert. It's just beautiful. You don't want to go back to regular TV when you experience high-def. Jesus has a life that's nothing less than high-def. And you will never know what it's like until you cross that line. You know, several years ago, a gentleman... I'm named Jim Peary, came into my office. Jim Peary just passed away a week ago. He's home having Easter with Jesus. In this, in this room, next Saturday, we'll have his memorial service. And Jim came into my office one day. He was all excited, telling me all these things God had done in his life. And he, he just was raving about the Lord. And I said, Jim, when did you become so excited about your faith? And he paused and he said, you know what? I think it all started the day that you baptized me and my family. And it made me think of the promise the scriptures make in Romans chapter 6. Listen to this promise. We're therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that power that raised Jesus from the dead, he says, then we too will be raised to live a new life. How do you access that? What's the key to that? Romans 10, 9. 
But if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He's the ruler. He's the authority. And believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believe. Now, I know that word's often maligned in our culture. We use the word believe to say a lot of different things. Like, I believe it's going to rain tomorrow. I believe I'm going to get the job. I believe my team's going to beat your team. You know, and those are really just strong hopes. That's all it is. That's not biblical faith. Sometimes we use belief to describe values like I believe in the dignity of human life. Uh, I believe in liberty for all. Well, those are strong convictions. But here's what biblical faith is. It's the assurance that God, that what God says is true and that you can trust it. It's conviction that leads to action. You believe it so much, you align your life according to it. You know, when you came in today and you looked for a chair, you didn't even think twice about sitting on one of these chairs because you had confidence that chair would hold you up. That's faith. But see, there's, little, there's not much risk in sitting in a chair. And there's a lot of convincing evidence that the chair is pretty solid. But you know that first time you got on an airplane? Or maybe for some of you, the first time that you went skydiving? A little, little, little more fearful, right? Because you didn't have the experience to back it up, and the risk was greater. It took a lot of faith. I, I was reading the other day about pilots and how they deal with this thing called spatial disorientation. And what happens for a pilot is, on occasion, when they're flying a plane, they go through clouds in which they no longer can see the mountains or the ocean or any building. And they've got to figure out what's up and what's down, and they cannot trust their own emotions, their own feelings, because their feelings are deceptive. They have to trust the instrument panel, because the instrument panel is always right. And pilots are trained to look to the instrument panel and trust it implicitly. Because the pilot that trusts his gut is a pilot that's taken his plane to the ground. Your gut is not reliable. And I know that's true for us too. People say, follow your heart. Follow, you know, follow your gut. I say, don't. It's deceptive. It will lead you to an inevitable crash. There's one instrument panel that's true, and that's the scriptures. Where God tells us what is true about life and what's up and what's down, what's right and what's wrong. What's true about God, what's true about you and me. And we trust that. And you know what happened to my life? When I began to align my life to this instrument panel, oh, it took on a whole new dimension. Things started to fall into place when I began to trust Jesus. And so I want to ask you today, what would happen in your life if this same Jesus who made an audacious promise to rise from the dead kept the promise he made to you? To lift your burdens, to make you free, to give you a new life. So here's what we're gonna do to wrap up the service. I'm gonna invite our prayer partners to come up here right now and be positioned up in front here. So prayer partners, come on up. And we do this every week at our church, but especially for this day. Today's a day that'll change your life forever if you choose to trust Jesus. And so we're gonna sing a song in a little bit and invite you to come up. And some of you, you've never done this before, but I wanna tell you, this is a safe place to do this. In fact, I wanna tell you, if you have the courage like Joseph of Arimathea to say, I don't care what anybody else believes, today it's between me and Jesus, and this is what I think about him, I trust him and I need him in my life, then you come up. And you may be seated, seated way in back, you might be seated in the middle of a row, that's okay, step on someone's toes, say, excuse me, I've got something I've got to do today. You come up here, and when you come up here, our friendly prayer partners are just going to greet you. They're going to ask you how they can pray for you. And get this, one of the greatest expressions of faith is simply to call on the name of the Lord, to ask God to do something 
that he promised to do. He loves fulfilling his promises. And maybe you need deliverance today. Maybe you need healing today. Maybe you need forgiveness today. Maybe you need a high-def life today. It's yours if you trust in Jesus. So let's all stand today. Let's sing this song. And we're up here to pray for you. Come up as we sing. Let's seek God together and trust the risen Jesus. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.